Thank you, Nathaniel. <clears throat> I asked him to uh, work that song in somehow, and, uh, and then, because it goes with my message, but then as we sang it and uh, the words started to become real, I thought, why did I have him sing that song? It's going to ruin me right before I get up <laughs> to preach. Um, I'm breaking one of the cardinal rules that Pastor Mark teaches us in preaching class. I think every time I've preached, I've reminded you that he was my preaching teacher as I was working through my ordination requirements on this district. And so anything that I do poorly, you just blame it on him because he's the one who taught me how to preach. But today I can't really do that because I'm breaking his rule. He teaches us to preach without notes so that we can just communicate um, conversationally and, and try to be engaging. So we do a lot of outlining and internalizing of our roadmap and things like that. But um, both because of the message and because of the emotion of uh, this being our second to last Sunday as part of your pastoral staff and uh, my last opportunity to address you in this way, I think I'm going to stick closely to my manuscript. Some of the great uh, Preaching teachers and preachers have been quick to say that the only people who use manuscripts are novices and experts. And I'm not sure which I am today, but um, I'm going to stick to my manuscript either way. <clears throat> I've just spent the last week teaching a course at Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. This was kind of my first week on the job in this new role as a seminary professor. And I just spent one week with 23 students uh, in a class called Global Christian History. And let me tell you, it's kind of a joke to think that you can teach 2,000 years of church history in a five-day intensive, um, but we had a great week together. I had students that were pretty fresh out of their undergraduate degrees, and I had a student who this Saturday will turn 80 years old uh, working on his Master of Divinity, and uh, so I'm, I'm already uh, excited about the work that's going on at Wesley Seminary that I get to be a part of. Um, and that that will be an extension of, of you and of the way that you formed me and our family in these six and a half years. But what I try to do as a teacher in church history, especially in this intensive format, because it is so much uh, to cover in such a little time, is rather than attempt to cram in as many details and names and dates and stories as I can, is that instead I try to help them catch a glimpse of what a beautiful and compelling story God has written through the church down through the ages. Not that it isn't without its dark moments, but God's faithfulness through that story. And my goal in class is not that they necessarily remember whether St. Patrick lived in the 5th century or the 6th century or the name of the pope that excommunicated Martin Luther or anything like that, but that through hitting some of these highlights and these big turning points in the story and through grasping the overarching narrative that they would marvel at the faithfulness of God down through the generations and that something might be unlocked in their imaginations that would prompt them to want to know this story because they embrace it as their story and our story as Christians. I'm not sure how successful I've been after this past week. I guess when the student evaluations come in, I'll know how successful I've been. But um, as I prepared to teach the course and as I prepared for this sermon and prepared for this transition from being your worship pastor to being a seminary professor, I've felt the Holy Spirit lay on my heart a different kind of message today than perhaps you might usually receive on a Sunday morning or than the kind I might usually preach. I tell my students that I want them to care about church history because it's his story, 
It's God's story. And that because as the church, Scripture uses both the image of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ to describe us, we have been written into God's story. We get to be characters in his story of redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. That's something we should celebrate and be thankful for. I also tell them that I want, to, I want them to care about history because history is where we get our identity. It's what teaches us who we are and where we've been. How can we know where we are headed if we don't know where we've been? Every significant renewal and revival of the church down through two millennia has involved a renewed interest and reading of history. In one of the textbooks that I use, the author puts it really well. He says, we do history to make it more faithfully. That we study it, we write it, we, do, we devote ourselves to doing history in order to, making it, to be making it more faithfully. So we're making history right now. And the key to making it faithfully is knowing who God is and knowing who we are and where we've been and where he's brought us. God is all about doing new things, but you can count on each new thing being consistent and continuous with the new things he's done all down through the ages. And it just makes me wonder as I study history how well we know our history. I realize the more I study how little I know. You know, it's kind of when I was doing my Ph.D., they always joke that getting a Ph.D. is just learning more and more about less and less, becoming more and more aware of how little you know. And I worry that the answer to that question, how well do we know our history, is not very well. Not just our religious history, but our family histories, our national history, the history of our local church. I mean, how many of you can just off the top of your head uh, know the names of your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents? And so we, uh, we get a little bit short-sighted sometimes in our understanding of our history. So what I want to do today is just to tell you, Xenia Nazarenes, a little bit of your story. And if you're a guest with us today, this is your first time here, this is going to seem really weird, but you're going to learn a little bit about who we are and, um, and the, the faith community that's been here for 96 years, 95 to 96 years, and that you can be a part of. I think it's good to be reminded who we are and where we've been from time to time. So I've been doing some digging, and I have some things I want to share and some things I've observed just even during my seven years almost seven years on staff here. And some of you, as I look around, have been around here a lot longer than I have. I can just tell by looking. And uh, so I, uh, I think we will have time, we did in the first service, that I may invite you to uh, add to the story that I want to share this morning. So be thinking now, and as, as you listen, um, if there's something that you would like to add, because there's a lot I will leave out. Um, and so I will, uh, I'll play Phil Donahue or whoever the latest person is that runs around with a microphone and, uh, give you a chance to share if you feel so led. So be ready. Before we turn to our own Xenia Naz history, I want us to turn to scripture. And of course, there are lots of places in the Bible that we can look for history, uh, especially the Old Testament is presented often as histories, the history of the people of God, the children of Israel and their relationship to God. But this week I was led to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 105. So if you have your Bibles or have grabbed a pew Bible on the way in, um, Psalm 105. Psalm is usually like the Psalms are right in the middle. If you open kind of right to the middle of the Bible, you'll usually land in Psalms or Proverbs. It's a long passage, and I'm going to read it all, uh, but it is a powerful summary at this particular point in in the timeline of some of the highlights of what God has done thus far in the particular story of the people of Israel. So Psalm 105, 
Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. And then we get some of the story. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. And when they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. And he allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free, made him a master in his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. The Lord told his people very, sorry, the Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose heart he turned to hate his people. He conspired to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, and they performed his signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for had they not rebelled against his words? They turned their, he turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs. These are the plagues. It's all part of our story. They went into the bedrooms of their rulers, and he spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout the country. He turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout the land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, the grasshoppers without number. And they ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil, and he struck down the firstborn of all in their land, the firstfruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out and flowed like a river in the desert. For he remembered his promise, his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they may keep his precepts and observe his laws. Say it with me. Praise the Lord. Man. See, these stories, Abraham, Joseph, Moses... These are our story because God has adopted us into his family history. Because the same God that was faithful to them, to Abraham and Joseph and Moses, has also been faithful to us. Zinyanaz, this is your life. And then in the New Testament, for example, the writer of the Hebrews gives us this wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 11. You can read it on your own time. It's in the New Testament toward the back. But in Hebrews 11, I grew up calling this the Faith Hall of Fame. 
And we're reminded again of the story, the stories of Abel and Enoch and Joseph and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, and how they trusted God to keep the promises that he had made. And Isaac and Jacob, who was a deceiver and a murderer like Moses, appear here too as heroes of the faith, as key characters in God's story. And Samson and Joshua and Gideon and Rahab the prostitute and on and on. This is the story that we are a part of in Xenia today. This is our story. Xenia Naz, this is your life. I could tell you about the relatively small tribe of early believers and how they lived out their faith in Jesus, even when it was illegal, and how many were killed for their faith. They were beheaded. They were fed to lions in the Colosseum and used as entertainment. Uh, They were accused of being cannibals and atheists and uh, being incestuous because of how they... Uh, how they related to one another and misunderstandings from a culture that rejected them and felt they, like they were a, uh, an alien cyst on the population and they, they were killed and stood true to their faith. And every time one was killed, many more believed and turned to Christ. And I could tell you stories that missionaries tell today that we heard a missionary from Africa tell this summer when we were at camp meeting uh, how that is still true every time a Christian is killed for their faith, that you can see churches that spring up and new believers that come to the faith. I could tell you about the saints and the fathers and mothers of the church who defended her against false teachings and corruption from without and within. Those who, like Martin Luther, allowed their conscience to be so captive to the Word of God that they simply could not sit idly by while their beloved church, the Bride of Christ, abused its power and exploited its people and who risked excommunication and even death to say, enough is enough, no more. Here I stand. I can do no other. Or those like John Wesley, who's kind of our theological founder and forefather, whose heart had been so strangely warmed by the good news of the assurance of his salvation that he simply couldn't accept that this good news should just be pent up in cathedrals and sanctuaries. And so he took to the streets and to the fields, and he preached the gospel to people that society didn't care about to factory workers and miners and the poor and outcasts. And the histories tell the stories of these sooty-faced miners with white streaks down their cheeks from tears from the preaching of John Wesley out in the open air. These people and their stories are our story. Zina Naz, this is your life. I could tell you about Phineas Brzee, one of the pastors who helped found the Church of the Nazarene, in 1908, who preached full salvation to the poor and downtrodden, even when his Methodist superiors tried to shut him down. He declared, and we carry on his message that's anchored in Scripture, that we don't have to be enslaved to sin. We don't have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed, but we can live lives that are victorious over sin and the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus doesn't want us to live our life for him. He wants to live his life through us, and that's the message that we carry on. I could tell you about how in September of 1918, just 10 years after this new denomination was formed, that the uh, 16 charter members of the Lighthouse Mission, who met in a room above the Cherry Furniture Store on West Main Street in Xenia, Ohio, organized the Xenia First Church of the Nazarene. And and Pastor Brian's uh, great-grandparents, I think, our children's pastor, were charter members of this church. And here he is, a member of our staff and a pastor. And after three years, their membership had gone from 17 to 44. The congregation took a major step of purchasing their first church building located on the corner of Orange Street and Bellbrook. 
They bought it from the Second United Presbyterian Church for $5,750. And as I looked at Louis Drake's signature on that land contract, I couldn't help but think of all of the members of his family that have been a vital part of this church for going on four generations now, including his great-grandson, Josh Basler, who plays drums for us from time to time, Jill and Sherry and Bob and Janet and so many. Zenia Naz, this is your life. I can tell you about Harold Mash, who pastored Zenia Naz from 1953 to 63. The church was running 196 in Sunday school when he came and 373 when he left 10 years later. Brother Mash had a vision for a new building on West 2nd Street, and in 1959, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit and with great faith and the help of Louis Drake, Florence Chapman, Mrs. Hostetler, Mrs. Abling, Alva Beam, my great-grandfather, and my grandpa Marvin Beam, he put together a plan, and in their published plan for this new building, I read these words, we only have one life, we can only reach this generation as those who live in this generation. We are in the midst of thousands of souls, and we must give account to God for our efforts to reach them. We can't add years to our life, but we can add life to our years. Let us venture forth in sacrificial effort that the church in this age might be all things to all men, that we might win some. And so on Sunday, November 20th, 1960, the building was dedicated on this land the worship folder contained a paragraph entitled, The Church Building is a Symbol. Now, it's really popular these days to say, like, oh, the church isn't about the building, it's about the people, and it is. Like, we are the church, right? But buildings, um, buildings tell us a lot about who we are, and they have a very formative influence on us and how we're perceived by uh, the community. And so they recognized this, and they wrote this paragraph entitled, The Church Building is a Symbol. And in it, it is made clear that the simplicity of that building reflects our desire to avoid pomp and ceremony that we may worship in the simple beauty of holiness. Its spaciousness tells of our purpose to reach more people with the message of salvation. Our concern for the aged and the physically handicapped is shown by placing the sanctuary at grade level, at ground level, where there are no steps to obstruct their entrance for these people. The nursery and special facilities for children point to our deep interest in their salvation and nurture in the Christian faith. And the clear glass panels on the doors facing the street are a testimony to our ideals of a pure heart and a transparent life. Our prayer and purpose is that this church will be a center of perpetual revival, new life, revival. I hope that we embrace these words today and that we carry on this vision. Zinaz, this is your life. I read through the history that Howard Wallace put together in 1971 when they dedicated the educational building that they tacked on to that church building that was built a decade before. It was built under Pastor Mer Merlin Province, and his wife Ruby was in our first service, and she gave a testimony to her experience as the pastor's wife for uh, three or four years here in Xenia. And in that dedication folder for, uh, oh, and this is the 1,000th member of the Xenia Naz Sunday School. This was Pastor Province. Uh, recognizing the 1,000th child to join our Sunday school program uh, at Xenia Naz. In, uh, in that time, it would have been a good thing to be reaching out to the black community and still is today. But this is who we are. But in that dedication uh, bulletin, 
for the educational wing, Pastor Province wrote this. Today unveils and reveals the burden and vision of a splendid congregation for today and tomorrow. This dedication, listen to this, this dedication can be desecrated in the future if we should lose this holy vision and fail to realize that every facility has but one purpose finally, and that is to be used as an instrument in God's hand to save the lost. It is true also that this dedication can be perpetuated by keeping a spiritual mind, a holy optimism and faith, a faithful stewardship, a desire for excellence both in character of our lives and the character of our building. See, Pastor Nathan, it's not just like a cool new thing to talk about excellence, like they were talking about it 40 years ago, way before we came along. As I look through these documents and I read the names of all the church leaders at the time, what I'm struck by is how many of the names I recognize because they're still here on every Sunday, every time the doors are open, Francis Shaw and Betty Drake and Harold and Vita Horton and Ruby Van Pelt and names of those who have passed on, who, whose funerals I've gotten to sing at and lead the congregational singing, but names like Joy Muterspaugh and Garnet Beam and Wayne Gallup and Don and Rita Anderson and Paul Voiles and so many, Barbara Davison, Lonnie Shattuck, faithful church men and women that I've had the immense privilege of serving as one of their pastors. And that I recognize some of these names on a 55-year-old bulletin is not really the point, um, but that many of these names are still here and part of this church is a testimony, yes, to their commitment and legacy, but more importantly, to the faithfulness of God down through the history of this church. Zinyanaz, this is your life. Of course, even those of us too young to have experienced it share in the community's kind of collective memory of the tornado on April 3rd, 1974, when Pastor Howard Rickey was the pastor. Everyone has their own account. I often talk about it uh, because my parents got married over the Christmas break of their senior year of college in January uh, in the old building, and if they had waited till the summer to have a wedding after they graduated college like sensible people would do, they wouldn't have had a church building to get married in. And so they kind of got in right before the destruction Um, But even as far away as Tampa, Florida, the Tampa Times reported that youthful pastor Howard Rickey looked at the shambles of his church. They posted a really cool picture of him walking around the rubble. The top story gone, the roof ripped off, the Sunday school wing, splintered glass, water-stained walls. But he said the loss might have been worse. We had 145 of our Kitty College daycare children in the building. But they and their staff, including my grandma, made it down into the basement and none were harmed in any way. Pastor Ricky said, there, there have been many tragedies, but there will be more miracles than tragedies that come out of this. Um, many lives were lost, including some of your loved ones. And we've just been hearing in this series on Ecclesiastes that under the sun, tragedies happen. And some good people die and some not so good people make it. And we search for explanations and answers to our questions. But in the end, we cling to the God who answered the question by entering into the tragic drama of our humanity. And we cling to his cross and confess our faith in a God who knows our weakness, who experienced our suffering even unto death, and who has felt our rejection and abandonment, and who conquered death and gives grace to the broken and hope to the hopeless. Zinyanaz, this is your life. We could look to the rebuilding of that old church and the beautiful sanctuary that we sit in today even though it looks a little bit differently than it did 40 years ago, and we had to install these moving color-changing lights to replace the stained glass window that got covered up, 
uh, but the glory of, of this space and how we worship here and how it's filled with song and with the preaching of the word. We could look to the growth of the Kitty College daycare into Nazarene Christian School and the acquisition of the 30-some acres across the street under the leadership of Pastor Harold Henderson. And we may recall the construction of that building that we now call the Xenia Community Center, the hundreds of students that passed through those hallways and received a Christian education from spirit-filled teachers who truly cared not only about their minds but about their souls. And many of us rightly grieved during our transition and Pastor Mark's early days of ministry uh, when we made the decision to close the school and then close the learning center because these had been instruments in fulfilling our mission that started with that lighthouse mission in 1918 to be a lighthouse to this community in each generation. But we've also seen new life birthed out of that loss. And today, hundreds of our brothers and sisters in Christ are worshiping over there as part of Apex Community Church. And we have hundreds of people that come through and uh, participate in fitness classes or come to the Cleft Youth Outreach on Friday nights and worship on Sunday nights as part of Uncommon Youth Church. People come and take classes to finish their high school degrees and learn English and, and uh, try to improve their lives. And every time we are being given an opportunity to be hospitable and to show grace to them. And, and maybe when they need a church, they think that church opens their doors. That's a church that's welcoming. They're seeing that we're a church that's not just interested in being the best church in Xenia, Ohio, but being the best church for Xenia, Ohio. That's who we are. That's who God is making us into. Xenia Naz, this is your life. And there are so many things that I've left out and haven't had time to include. The missionaries that we've had a hand in sending, like the Radcliffs and um, Manny and Cindy Botris, the pastors who have received their calls into ministry in this church, the faithfulness and, by worldly standards, insane generosity of people like Marilyn Deany Thornton, who sold so much of their farm and their uh, equipment and so have supported global Nazarene missions and have supported this church down through their lives. The formation of our Riverside campus in 2010 under Pastor Gum and Pastor Greg. And now that work is on, about to take on a new life as Pastor Greg transitions to his new role in Marion, Ohio. And our church board has unanimously called Pastor Jason McCauley to continue that work as the Riverside campus pastor. And that just happened this week, so we can clap about that. That's a good thing. Yeah. Some of you won't know Pastor Jason and Gina or their story, and they've been worshiping at Riverside, and Jason's been leading the Celebrate Recovery ministry over there for a couple years now. But, but their story kind of encapsulates and is, is symbolic of a lot of what I'm trying to tell you this morning. See, Jason and Gina weren't believers, weren't interested in the things of God, weren't interested in the church, but they sent their daughter Jillian to our learning center. And when they finally got fed up and annoyed with Jillian saying, why don't we go to church? Then they finally came and checked us out probably on a learning center honor Sunday or something like that. They gave it a shot. They showed up for worship, and before long, they'd given their lives to the Lord. They'd been baptized. Jason felt and responded to a call into ministry and has received his district minister's license and is working toward ordination, and now he'll be a part of our full-time pastoral staff. And that's all just happened in the six and a half years that I've been here. God is doing a new thing, but it's a continuation of all the other new things that God has been doing. He is faithful. He's been faithful to us He's been faithful to the Parkmans. He's been faithful to the Dennises. He's been faithful to the Macaulays as they step out on faith in this new assignment. And this isn't just Jason and Gina's story. This is your story. This is our story. This is our life. So again, I've left out a lot of things, and I think we do have time uh, that if a few of you would like to share, 
I'd love to hear from you and uh, just kind of give a testimony or a bit of the story that you know. And I know if I just wait long enough, somebody will bail me out and stick their neck out. So what do you say? Oh, Mark, took, Mark warned me that he was going to jump up. Yes, my name is Mark Downs. I just want to praise God for God being so faithful to me. And then when I've had health problems, this church, if you don't believe in God or people who cares about you, this church does. And I just want to say, if you're looking for a home church and it wants to bless you and encourage you, come to this church and they would do that for you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. You've been coming to this church since you were born, right? Yeah. Mark's dad was on the church board back in the day when they were building new buildings. Who else? Yes. Mary. Um, we are over at the, uh, <laughs> across the street, yeah. and we are part of Heart and Hands Crochet yeah. for Cancer. Uh, there's a group of us ladies that crochet around the clock. And we make hats and prayer shawls, and uh, we visit the area hospitals and take those to the cancer patients. Yeah. And come see us. We'd love to see you. Yeah, they'll teach you how to crochet, I yes, bet, even absolutely. if you don't know how already. Yeah. So other ministries like that, awesome. Rick Slamer, I was digging through those notebooks of all our historical stuff. I saw some fun pictures of you back in the 80s. I, I don't know, but you had dark hair and a big old beard, man. <laughs> looking, looking good. Who else that wants to share a part of the story that I might not know? We celebrated new parts of the story with baptisms just last week, two weeks ago. Last week, two weeks ago. All right. This is my mama, if y'all don't know me, know her. I testified in the first service, so I was hesitant to testify in the second, but if you're not going to jump up, I'm going to take this opportunity to just praise the Lord for his faithfulness in my life and the life of our family and the life of this, my home church. Um, I'm like Mark. I grew up here. I didn't know any other church till I went away to college, and um, I just am so grateful for the influence of people in my life from this church, but mostly the influence of God and his holy presence in my life. And the last several months have been difficult ones for me, some of the hardest of my life. We've lost both of my husband's parents within the last year. And, of course, my mom's gone through cancer. And many of you have prayed with her and seen her through this journey. And uh, then we also have Dr. Jim, my brother-in-law, who's been through this heart surgery just in the last two weeks. Um, but we just have seen little miracles of God's faithfulness uh, in every situation. We can testify to God's goodness and I told the group earlier this morning that one of the biggest blessings um, for me has been to have my son have this be his church too and to have his children here under uh, the influence of this good church. And um, I, I remember him telling me when he came home from Scotland after having not been in the U.S. for four years, I wonder if there'll be a place for me in my in, in the Church of the Nazarene to serve when I get home. 
And, um, and Xenia Naz called him, and I said, I could, that's where I would have picked if I was picking. And I'm just so grateful that God has let Brandon and Gloria be with you. And I'm grieving that he's leaving, just like you are. But um, I know God has been so faithful um, to us and our family and to his larger kingdom around the world. And this uh, message this morning has been a blessing to me as I've reflected on God's goodness and faithfulness to his people here in Xenia. Hello, I'm Carrie McIntosh, and I've been in this church for about 13 years now. And I came to this church with no family and very little connection. And when my connections that brought me here uh, stepped out and I was here by myself, I felt welcome like I was part of the family, and I just want to thank the church for that. I'm Darren Sabo, and uh, over 11 years ago, when I was on active duty and up in the base, I was looking around for churches because I knew we were moving up here, and I drove through here on a cold February, March night, and on a Wednesday night, and I stopped a lady walking from the parking lot into the service, and I said, so what's this church like? And she just told me how wonderful people were her, and so I'm taking, you know, the word from one person that turned out to be Miss Cindy Botris, and uh, so since then, you know, we've been here ever since, and I've been a part of the the, uh, the, the school over there on the board and having to go through that difficult time of seeing that closed and then I'm still part of the board after that and I had to watch the Learning Center close but going on with the theme of God's faithfulness as hard as those were you know having to make those decisions it's really encouraging to see the things he's doing with the building and I know he's got more things planned for us here as we've even had to close the Learning Center down so I just want to praise God for or as difficult it was for being a part of that, because I asked him many times, why was I a part of those things? But I can see it now. Get my exercise. I wasn't going to speak up, um, but you encouraged me to. Um, our, we're newbies. Um, we're, we've been here less time than what Pastor uh, Brandon's been here. And uh, we walked in one Sunday because we needed to find a new church, and we were not in the mood to go find a new church that Sunday. So we walked into this one knowing that it's big and we can get lost. Um, because of the hospitality of this church, because of the great presence of God feeling God in this church through Pastor Gum at that time. And because of the loud music that Brandon played and we knew we would not like, but then we watched him as he worshiped and you could just feel through him his love for God and his desire to share that love. We walked out of the church and we go, do we need to go anyplace else? I think God showed us where to be, and I am so thankful that that Sunday, when we weren't looking for a church, we found the church that God needed, knew we needed, and I just praise him for that. Anybody else? Oh. 
I'm Debbie Lahan, and my son, I have two sons, um, Nathaniel and Matthew Lahan, and we started coming here. Judy Katzenbach and her husband encouraged us to come here back when Mike and Debbie Dennis were here, and we have, this has always felt like home. Um, all the pastors, all the teachers, our boys both went to the school, and it was very sad when it closed. Nathaniel was able to go all the way through and graduate, and we were very thankful but I truly believe that our boys have become the fine young men that they are today. A lot is because of all of you, the teachers and all the love and, and God. And Nathaniel's embarking on a, a new, you know, a new venture. And um, I just want to thank all of you for making us welcome and, and being a family. Thank you. My name is Sherry Thompson, and I just want to say how this church has invested in my life, has molded and made me what I am today, the members of this church. For when I was just five years old, my parents lived behind here, walked through the field, and brought me as an infant. And my grandparents were people who invested their lives, Lewis and Elsie Drake, who were one of the original members of the church. And so I have a rich heritage, but you who are not related to me have poured into my life. I was saved and sanctified in this church. And I remember days when we have had great revivals. There are people that have prayed and planted seeds that today have come to fruitation because of their diligence and their discipline in prayer and fasting and in teaching the word. We have had great ministries to this community, wonderful VBSs, Sunday school classes, and it has been my privilege to see many of you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and become members. And I'm excited to see our youth group because I know that God has wonderful plans for you. And Nate, Mindy, thank you for your leadership in that. And Brandon, for what you've done for us in the last seven years and taught us to worship. We thank you for that. And I especially loved your your message today. It goes right along with a year ago. There is a woman who is the key influence in worship in this country. She's not an Nazarene, but God gave her a dream and a vision. And without explaining the dream and the vision, what it said was that in order to revive the church today, stories and testimonies have to be told that that is the key to bring in new life. And so what has happened today through your message, Brandon, I believe will bring new stories and have fruit that will last to eternity. For today, we need that fruit. For, you know, so many things in the world are unsettled, and we need to know more about this God that we serve. We need to have a sure foundation to stand for what is coming for the church in the days to come in America. And so I thank you. I believe the Holy Spirit 
planted this message today. And so, folks, I want to encourage you, testify, tell your story. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. Judy. I don't know where to begin, but um, I, I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, I didn't know anything about God. I didn't even know what it meant to be saved. I couldn't understand what it meant, what was getting you, what did you need to be saved from. Um, and some friends got saved and witnessed to me, and I, and I was watching Billy Graham one night, and I accepted the Lord, and I knew a change happened. I didn't understand, and um, I went with a friend to a miracle day in Dayton, and the pastor came and visited me and said, if you're a Christian, you need to go to church. And I thought, okay, where do I go? And uh, winter was coming on. I was in 71, and I didn't want to go all the way to Dayton where her church was, so I just came here. And it was close to home. I live right over there on Kylemore. And uh, people ask, well, who invited you? And I thought, nobody. I just came. You know, I guess the Holy Spirit, God, invited me. And I've been here ever since. And people, uh, old saints of God, took me under their wing. The provinces were here at the time. And um, they helped me understand what it meant to be really what I did, the step I took, the step of faith. And ever since then, I had an unsaved husband. He didn't come with me. He let me go. He didn't care if I went. But he said he would never go. And so um, I got to pray, and I got saints of God to, they fasted and prayed, you know, some of the names I could name that were just so faithful. Um, some are still here today, and some are not. But they, and pretty soon, uh, he also received the Lord, and he was faithful prayer warrior. We taught Sunday school here for 20 years. He went on to be with the Lord in 04, and God is so faithful. And it's so exciting to look around and see all these things happening with all the new believers and uh, Nate, for instance, I watched him grow up, and he's going on into ministry, and it's just exciting, and I want to give God the praise and the glory for it all. Well, I know we could go on and on, and I uh, appreciate you sharing these stories, and if you have, if you really wanted to get in and you, or something comes to you later, email me or email Pastor Mark, and we want to hear those stories and find ways to share them. Can we look back just one more time at some of the words of the psalm that we read earlier? Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in His strength and seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. You, His servants, the descendants of Abraham, His chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He remembers His covenant forever and the promise He has made for a thousand generations. And this kind of brings us to what maybe to me as your worship pastor are some of the most meaningful and encouraging things that I've seen in your story in my almost seven years here as your worship pastor. I've been coming to this church a long time. It was grandma's church before it was my church or it was the church my mom grew up in. But in 2007, it became my church, my family's church. But I've always known you to be people who love to sing, who love to worship, who reach out and draw others in in creative ways through bus ministry and softball and community centers and all kinds of ways, search and rescue and VBS and people who give and give and give and who pray and pray and pray and who wear these altars out with your prayers and your tears. 
And I've seen you become people who gather on days like Ash Wednesday and receive a symbol of your mortality and a reminder of your absolute dependence on God to save you and give you life. I've seen you become people who gather on Maundy Thursday and wash one another's feet. I've watched dads, I've watched Sean Alex wash his boy's feet and his wife's feet. And I've watched brothers and sisters who I know who have hurt one another profoundly kneel and take up the towel and wash one another's feet. And I look at that and I see and I think, what a great story God is writing here among these people. What wonders He has done, His miracles. I've seen you become a people who don't just tag on communion as an awkward addendum to your worship service every couple of months, but a people who respond weekly to Christ's invitation to come to the table and receive His body into your body, even as He is making you into His body. And so as you come today... And you take these symbols of his body and his blood. This is your life, seen and as. This is your life. This is our life together. So as our servers come, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this story that you have written down through generations, not just here in Xenia, but down through millennia. That you are a God who is faithful, a God who makes and keeps covenants even when we don't. That uh, you are our help in ages past and our hope for years to come. I thank you for what you've done in and through this church and what you have in store. And I thank you that we can come to your table and that we can be nourished by you, by your presence in the bread and in the cup and in our fellowship with one another, I thank you that in this act that we don't just participate in an empty ritual, but that we participate in your real presence. And so I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup so that overshadowed by Christ's life-giving power, they would be for us his body and his blood, that we would be kindled with the fire of your love and renewed for the service of your kingdom. Help us today to remember that this is where we find our life. It's in you and you alone. That all our hope is in you. Thank you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you feel led. Our altars are a great place to kneel and pray as well. If you want to take the elements and kneel and pray, this is your life. I'd like to... Use Philippians 1, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, kind of as my benediction, blessing over you this morning. I thank my God, and I will thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thanks be to God. And go in peace this morning. Thank you. You're dismissed.